Alex Mozad and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. It's Friday, which means we're doing a little t-shirt oriented episode. We got the Winner Take All t-shirt on. If you'd like some swag from us, make sure to text us at 203-646-5159. If you text Monopoly, we'll send you this t-shirt. If you text Twitter, we'll send you our Twitter t-shirt, which is pretty phenomenal. And we got some other cool swag to text us and we'll get some stuff out to you. So first topic for today, we're going to talk about uh, Netaporte, YNAP, as they like to call it, which was actually started by a, you know, one of the biggest uh, fashion and luxury uh, and jewelry um, conglomerates called Richemont. So Yuke's was acquired by Richemont for 2.5 billion euros in May of 2018. They'd gone public uh, in two, in 2010 and were started, man, back in 2000. So the company has been around for a long time. We have lined up Ukes versus Farfetch many, many times in the show. We've talked about the two of them, um, as great examples of linear versus platform. And when you read this interview with the chairman of Richemont, Johan Rupert, and this is, Basically, a family-owned company. Chairman and founder is this guy named Johan Rupert of Richemont. Massive conglomerate. This guy's a billionaire. Mega, mega billionaire. It's quoted a number of times on this deal. So they spent 2.5 billion euros uh, four years ago to buy Yuxnet Porte. Linear business, not a platform business. That's why if you watch prior videos on the show, we are more bullish on Farfetch than we are on Ukes because it is so hard to get inventory um, in this world of luxury fashion that if you can get the supply, generally you can find the demand. And so what we've seen with the these platform models in fashion is people are either selling used. You have all different kinds of inventory that the marketplace model can facilitate and allow people to acquire as opposed to the linear model, which is just really one, which is here's new inventory and now I'm going to sell it online. Whereas the marketplace model is going to let you sell used that you've had for a year, five years, 10 years, but it's a really nice item that's traditionally worth tens of thousands of dollars. And yeah, maybe someone could buy it for a few thousand dollars and it's 10 years old. So there's a whole massive market on that. Arguably, I've heard in the watch industry, the secondhand resale market for used is 10 times the size of the new market, right? So yeah, I've got a watch and this thing holds its value pretty well. Actually, in today's environment, a lot of those things have appreciated actually, and you can make money on them, selling them. Um, But you need to get liquidity, right? These are very expensive pieces of either jewelry, uh, watch, clothing, bags, et cetera. And then there's a whole other category of inventory, which is really where you see the StockX and the goats of the world in sneakers. But actually, it's, it's technically secondhand, but it's actually still a new product. Maybe it's still in the box, but 
you can actually sell it for more than what it's selling for at retail because no one can actually get access to that product. You also see that in watches with um, Chrono 24. So there's multiple kinds of inventory that a luxury marketplace, fashion marketplace can aggregate and then provide to the consumer that just a singular e-commerce product like Euxnet Porte just cannot do. And so it's really interesting when you read the, some of the uh, quotes here, which I'm about to, uh, from Johan's original vision. He goes, this, this deal represents a significant step in achieving Richemont's vision of making YNAP a neutral industry-wide platform. And through a put-call option mechanism lays a path towards Farfetch potentially acquiring the remaining shares bringing together these highly complementary businesses. They, he mentions, mentions this kind of neutral platform here. Last November, when Johan Rupert, chairman of Rishma, talked about partnering Farfetch on an open and neutral platform, Rupert said that was high time that YNAP, Ukes, explored alternatives to its linear business model, such as a marketplace. This guy, you know, he understands the nuance, which is very cool. How old is he? He's 72. There's our boy golfing in some suit and tie attire. So he understands this nuance and you can see it come through in this, but it's also curious why it's taken Ukes so long to get to this marketplace vision. We knew back then that if we wish to control our destiny and protect the uniqueness of the luxury in industry as it was digitalized, we would need to collaborate as the task was too big to undertake on our own. You know, you look at this timeline, he's saying he, his date in his mind was 2015 when they set out on this journey. They then bought you extend a porte in, in, in 2018 linear business. 2021 Ukes and Farfetch had a partnership to start to digitalize and kind of enable some marketplace capability for Ukes. In 2020, Richemont, Farfetch and, and, and Alibaba entered into a JV in China. So you could see these parties have been working together, 2020 doing a deal in China, 2021 doing a partnership, 2022 just saying, all right, let's get married. Look at all these brands. So the, the luxury fashion industry is actually very consolidated. There's a handful of watch brands. Richemont owns Cartier and IWC and Vacheron Constantine, Van Cleef and Arpel. Uh, Piaget, Panerai, <laughs> you know, they own multiple watch brands. They own multiple other just fashion and more kind of clothing uh, brands. And then there's the Artemis Group. They've invested in Goat. They also were a former investor in First Dibs, another sneaker marketplace. They're doing different kinds of partnerships with different kinds of uh, clothing or uh, fashion marketplaces. They did a deal with uh, Grailed, which Goat and Artemis put money into. So you can see these, you know, there are a few of these big fashion conglomerates, very often family owned or family controlled at the very least. They're getting into this world of marketplace. They kind of started out linear, but you know they knew that that's where they wanted to go. It just, it, it's very difficult when you come from control, the level of control that these brands have um, on their inventory is such a huge part of what they do. You want to try and go buy a Chanel bag, you go to Chanel's website, um, you can't do it. You have to call them. 
Like you say, oh, well, what's the price? I'm on Chanel's website. How much is the bag? You got to call them up. They will not give you the price. You can't buy it. And then you call them up and they say, hey, so this is available in this boutique uh, or, or that boutique. And hey, do you want to talk to that store? <laughs> um, or if you buy something, if you buy a Chanel bag, let's say through Bergdorf, you will be in Chanel's system. They will know exactly what you bought from who, of all your information. Uh, so you see this in certain industries where the manufacturers have a lot of control. You see this in the electronic industry, right? If you make chips, semiconductor chips, there's like five or four ch semiconductor chip manufacturers. When those distributors sell the chips, the manufacturers know everyone. They know the whole client list. They know what you sold to who, how much, what price, what volume, all of it. So not every luxury brand can, can command that kind of power like Chanel. But the point is this, is that when you go from that way of thinking and that way of running your business, and that has what's proven success to you, these are luxury brands, and even uh, Johan talks about this discerning clientele, right? Then the idea, just the idea of marketplace is so fundamentally the exact opposite of everything that you have known how to do and how to run your traditional business. Very difficult for you to balance those two things and step right into marketplace. So I understand where they're coming from. And when you read this, they're saying, now nah, we're going to be a hybrid marketplace that is open to the entire industry. The language here is very interesting. The combination of things, these things, very interesting. Oh, and Artemis was also in the deal with Alibaba and Farfetch going into China. So you can see these recurring themes here. A couple things here. One, how much do they actually sell it for? Well, they get about 10% of stock in, in Farfetch for roughly a 47% stake in Uxnet-a-Porte. So Farfetch is currently valued at about $3.5 billion. So that's call it 350 million bucks. Then there's this quarter, quarter billion dollar payment that could come in five years. Then I think there's the other 50% and change of this, which Farfetch has uh, basically put options that they could exercise, put and call options on both sides. They could exercise so that the rest of Ukes could be acquired in totality over the next, I think, just a couple of years. So when you add that all up, maybe it's a billion dollars that Richemont would actually get in, in terms of some mixture of cash and stock in Farfetch. Interesting. Especially considering they paid two and a half billion euros, student by by two and a half billion euros four years ago was probably closer to two seven, two eight billion US um, in, in terms of where the exchange rate was back then, at least. So yeah, did they lose uh, close to $2 billion when all is said and done? Plus also not including the losses that they were funding, the CapEx that they were funding into Uxeta Porte for these past few years, which apparently a bit of drag on their financials and to shareholders. So yeah, they've lost billions with a B um, on this deal. Johan though says, it was never Richemont's dream or intention to own an online business, said Rupert, arguing that Richemont originally took full control of Ukes because its former shareholders had wanted to sell their stakes. This is also very interesting. 
And I have been pleading for seven years to have a neutral digital sales platform that any brand could join, he added. Rupert saying Rishma is now able to do what it does best and build brand equity without worrying about running a digital business. Repositioning of Ukes from its off price to an end of cycle and circular fashion destination. That is code word for secondhand uh, goods and marketplace in a nutshell. So Rupert's saying, hey, I always wanted to have a neutral digital platform, but they never did it. Maybe they tried to do it internally. Uh, they might have actually tried to do a watch marketplace on their own. They did. They, in 2018, they also did go marketplace with WatchFinder, which is actually a secondhand marketplace for watches. But WatchFinder lags Chrono24. Looks like it was acquired for about $300 million. So they went on a buying speed. They, they, they spent nearly 3 billion, 3 billion euros in 2018. WatchFinder, really haven't heard much about them. They haven't raised any subsequent capital. Um, not really mentioned much. And they've been trying this. But it's, it's, it's from what the chairman wants to do, which is actually amazing that he says he's been so bullish. Maybe that's not the truth. I don't know. There's two sides, multiple sides to every story. But... This is a very interesting case study. We've compared Ukes and Farfetch for many years. And now we're just kind of learning so many new facts from the chairman. If they had been able to embrace marketplace sooner, would Ukes and Aporte be worth more money? Would they be in a better, more competitive position? I think so. Would they be selling it today and getting maybe a billion dollars over the course of the next two to five years? Probably. But what seems to me actually is the management and the, the ability to activate the core business of Richemont. Richemont is so big, they have so many uh, competitive advantages and just scale and inventory. How are they able to properly leverage that and activate the core business to drastically propel forward these digital initiatives? And I think that's really where probably the biggest gap or the biggest miss has come from is you got the, seems like the chairman up here saying, yeah, let's go do this. And then it breaks down when it actually gets into the execution of it all. And what I've seen when, when, when that's the case is because this is such a huge departure from how the, the core business has operated literally for decades. And now, yeah, we want to be a neutral, open platform. Mm. That takes regular involvement from the chairman on a weekly basis, every other week at minimum. This guy has a lot of things going on. He's the chairman. He's not the CEO. I'm saying the chairman. There's a reason it's Johan who is talking about this deal and not the CEO of Rishmo. Because in particularly these family controlled, businesses. Richemont is publicly listed. They've got an activist shareholder in there. But if you actually look at who controls that business, it's the family. It's like Ford Motor Company. Who controls Ford? The family. Uh, yes, they have public shareholders. That's great. Yes, they have some say, but I know who really calls the shots. The family. Many businesses like this, the car, the car industry basically has this just about every big car company. Uh, the fashion industry has this. A lot of industries would be surprised actually are very tightly held um, by literally just a few families. So anyway, I don't have full information here, but my question, my first question from reading this and hearing Johan and the, 
is how involved was he? And was he really there on a regular, consistent basis over the past seven years, keeping that steady beat of the drum going and saying, hey, if we buy Ukes, we got to turn it into a marketplace, right? But And if we want to buy Ukes, well, why would we buy Ukes if we know that we want to do marketplace? You could have bought a whole bunch of other things, which we talked about on our show. Why would you buy Ukes? Why wouldn't you buy Farfetch? When they bought Ukes, Farfetch was publicly listed and they could have bought Farfetch. No, actually, no. They could have bought Farfetch. Farfetch 2018 was worth probably about $10 billion. This deal wiped out a lot of money. I mean, Real Real was already down. Real Real is like the number two to Farfetch. I mean, they were up in the mid threes dollar, you know, 360, 337 a share in mid August. Now they're down at 210 following the news of this deal. This did not help them. Yeah, they lost basically 25% of their value right when the news of this deal came out between Farfetch and Ukes. So you're seeing this consolidation happening. You're seeing platform and linear merge. You've seen also Farfetch. You've seen Farfetch invest in linear. You've seen Farfetch invest in their own proprietary brands like the Off-White brand, which they did a deal with Virgil, who fortunately passed away in the past couple of years. But they licensed that. They kind of own that Off-White brand. So every, every great platform business has a natural point of becoming hybrid, except for eBay, which is why they're probably not a great platform business because they will never do linear. I don't get it. But anyway, yes, you need to do both. It's not really one or the other. It's saying, how can, how can you do platform? How can you do marketplace in this scenario and linear? We actually just talked about this on the show when we interviewed Mitch, the uh, former CEO of MoviePass. He's coming out with a new book and talked about at the end of that interview in content. You have all of the content platform companies from YouTube to Twitch to Facebook and Instagram. And you have all of those that rely on user-generated content are trying to move into, as he called it, scripted content. You know, your higher production value, your, your linear content, which is what your movie studios are doing, your Netflix is doing. But why don't you see any of the movie studios, Disney, uh, Netflix, um, HBO, and now Discovery, why don't you see them trying to go in the other direction? It's always the the platforms that are trying to do linear. Why aren't the linear trying to do platform? And Ukes was finally trying to do this in their partnership with Farfetch last year. And then they said, you know, why don't we just have the platform take over Ukes? We've got this uh, Richemont, you know, we've got this activist shareholder in here. We're funding these losses, you know, um, here, Farfetch, take it. And, um, and, you know, we're not a digital company. It's kind of reading this feedback from, from Johan here at, uh, at Richemont. I give the guy credit for trying it. Without, for, without any further information, I'd say, this stuff needs to be driven top down and with the amount of different parties and the amount of just culture and reinvention and just 
existing inertia of, well, this just isn't how we do things internally at the company. That to me was the biggest miss. And the way you, you get through that is it's a grind. It's just hard work, but it needs to be consistent and it needs to be driven top down. And I just don't know if Johan was there every week or at the very least every other week and just driving uh, him and then his team underneath him. That is my guess, but I could be wrong. So we got news out of China. Tencent divestment strategy sends chill through China's tech sector. The tech giant is shrinking its internet empire to appease regulators and investors. Hmm. Interesting. So Financial Times has this write-up. Tencent's reining things in. It's uh, reeling in its expenses. The soft target is part of a broader shift by Tencent to reduce costs as economic growth slows. So there's a number of things that just don't make sense to me on this. So Tencent has about an $88 billion portfolio of holdings in other publicly listed Chinese tech companies. I've got a nice list here. Meituan is basically the Uber competitor in China. Apple also invested in them. Pinduoduo, the Alibaba competitor. They started with like group buying in rural villages. And on down the line, you got some stuff based out of Singapore. You got Tencent Music Streaming, which they own a majority of. They own some of JD.com. They own some of Spotify. But these are really Chinese companies. Um, they own Snapchat. They've got on this list here. I didn't even know they, they own that much Snapchat. But this is actually the thing to me which is most interesting. So, so that era is gone of Tencent heavily investing in tech startups, says... Uh, this analyst author that, you know, from China. That era is gone after the regulatory crackdown and as Tencent's focus has shifted, shifted with the wider economic slowdown, she says. Hmm. Tencent's move to scale back its, pen, its spending and divest large chunks of its portfolio is representative of a broader shift in the industry. Hmm. We can't keep providing unlimited support. We're selecting companies that can sustain themselves said one Tencent employee with knowledge of the company's investment strategy. The person added that Tencent had been asked by investors to divest its underperforming assets, and the shift was testing the boundaries of the investment team. We're having to think in a way that we've never thought before. <laughs> kind of hilarious. Tencent said, We have not received any external pr pressure regarding our investment portfolio. We will continue to make decisions independently and in the best interest of our shareholders. Okay, boilerplate. This is the someone from the anti-monopoly agency. Tencent has a monopoly grip over gaming, instant messaging, and entertainment. That is true. China has an anti-monopoly agency. It's, God, it's, the irony is just it's too good. The company has been very humble when dealing with the regulators. Still, we are looking for actual moves, like a 100 billion RMB, which is maybe 15 billion US roughly, to the Poverty Alleviation Fund or selling stakes in listed companies. Tencent plans to pair back stakes in companies, including e-commerce player JD.com and MyTuan, said what investment team member. Two people with knowledge of the matter said MyTuan was not at the top of the investment team's sell list. In the following months, Tencent will keep executing sales of listed shares, including but not exclusively MyTuan. Reuters had previously reported that Tencent pl plans to sell all or much of its $24 billion stake in MyTuan. And then Tencent said, no, that's not true. Interesting, right? So. The government in China is clamping down on Tencent's tenta tentacles, 
trying to rein in their power. The anti-monopoly agency is all over them. They know they're a monopoly. We are regulators could take a hint. Um, but China doesn't like any competition when it comes to monopolies. The CCP is the ultimate monopoly. And the tech monopolies should all recognize they are subservient to the great and all-powerful and can never do anything wrong CCP or else. And the or else is what's been playing out for the past couple of years now. So, but here's the thing. Do you think Tencent's going to sell any of its shares in U.S. or foreign listed tech companies? I think they're going to sell their shares in Spotify. I think they're going to sell their shares in Snapchat. You think they're going to sell their shares in Reddit, which is a, still a privately held company, but nonetheless. Do you think they're going to sell their shares in Epic? which owns uh, Fortnite and a bunch of other things. Do you think they're going to sell their shares in other tech monopoly or on their path to becoming a tech monopoly in other parts of the world? No, they're not going to. Because this is about China saying, hey, you're too powerful in China, but I still would like you to be powerful abroad so you can make sure that the NBA doesn't speak out badly about China. I want you to continue to exert your international influence, Tencent. I'd actually wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if, if the Chinese government says, yeah, sell the stuff internally in China and I'll let you take more money out of China to invest in other uh, U.S. or other foreign tech companies also, right? And Tencent's saying, okay, yeah, I'll take that trade. You can't get, ever get money out of China. But if, ten, if China's saying, hey, I want you to be less powerful here, but spread your influence out abroad. I mean, they got to do something with this money. That's what doesn't compute for me is they're a monopoly. They're make, they, they are making money. They have a weakening economy, just like the rest of the world. Uh, slowing in China, it's slowing here. But in those times is, is actually the best time where you see the large tech players able to double down and reinvest. Sure, you want to trim you want to control costs just like everyone else. And you don't need as many people. You don't need to invest in growth as much as you used to. But now you've got a war chest. And what are you going to do with that? So wouldn't you want to go and do other tech M&A, right? Maybe they want to take some of these dollars of companies that are public and they are a minority investor in and say, well, I'd, I'd rather use that to buy companies that I could then grow and own all that upside, right? But I don't think the anti-monopoly agency is going to say, great, sell your shares in MyTuan and then use that to go buy other tech companies that you're going to turn into another monopoly and further just get more, more powerful in China. I don't think they want that. So what I, what I would not be surprised to see here is their U.S. and their holdings of foreign listed tech companies stays the same, if not increases. Or does Tencent get into entirely new companies? Um, and China says, sure, take that money, use it outside of China. You, that's, that's China's, one of China's greatest tricks is you put a bunch of money into China, that money 10Xs, but you can't take that money out of China. Did you just 10X your money or did you just lose all your money? You tell me. A lot of companies are having to wrestle with that question right now. A lot of foreign companies, U.S., unfortunately, too many U.S. companies. Um, that's the thing here that doesn't really make sense. There's got to be some other stuff going on here about why they want to sell these things and then do what? Why? These are smart people. And the Chinese government and the tech monopolies are, for the most part, very 
much so in sync. That got a little bit off the rails thanks to Didi. When Didi was doing its listing, which is also an Uber competitor, yeah, that was the thing that really put a nail in the coffin for these Chinese tech companies, tech monopolies. So yeah, in, in the fight against big tech monopolies, China and the government, CCP, is certainly winning that fight. The people within China may or may not actually notice a difference, but I would imagine that internationally, if I'm China, I want my Chinese tech monopolies to make a bigger push internationally, and I want them to reallocate their resources to focus on that. Um, we'll see. See if they do that. But we got GameStop's uh, NFT marketplace. Yep, we're talking about NFTs. We had a great couple videos on, on me buying an NFT, NMFR to be specific. Bought an NFT on OpenSea and then sold it. Did I make money or did I lose money? Go check those out those videos if you want to see. But now GameStop, late to the game, very late to the game, uh, launching this marketplace. So here's what's interesting with this. They announced this, they come out with this press release in February of 2022. So what is that? Um, over six months ago, this is seven months ago, saying, hey, we're going to do this partnership. And, and now the thing launches seven months later. They enter into this partnership, but then it takes seven months to launch. So they actually announced the partnership, which means if they announced the partnership in February, you know, they've been working on this for a long time. So not moving fast enough. Partnership establishes up to $100 million fund in Immutable X's IMX tokens. So Dapper Labs is the company that launched the original version of this with the NBA called Top Shot. And the NBA is able to bring all of its creative assets and IP and ownership over these players and, and the video content and all this stuff and can now use that to create this NFT marketplace specific to the NBA. Then the NFL has also done um, their own version of it. The UFC has done it and you know other brands as well. Here's uh, NFLallday.com and go get all your goodies, Mahomes and all these like little NFT things. Okay, wonderful. But here's the problem. GameStop is a retailer. So what IP do they actually own? Mm, nothing too special. So to me, could GameStop go create an NFT marketplace and then they are able to bring their, their brands, so their game developer brands, and say, hey, here's an NFT marketplace solution. We're going in on this. We want you, maybe the... The smaller game developers, you know, not the EA Sports and the the Blizzard and Activision and all those massive game developers, but who are your smaller to mid-sized game developers that like the NFT thing, have some strong kind of fan um, loyalty, and would want to join a gamer-oriented NFT marketplace that has a common token, which is the idea with this immutable X thing, this $100 million grant thing that they're talking about, and um, use that to put this all together. So, so you go to Immutable's website and they give you all these logos, Marvel, Disney, Guild of Guardians, kind of sounds like Guardians of the Galaxy, but I don't really think that is. And 
you look at the website, I don't see any recognizable game studios on here. I don't see, I go to the GameStop NFT marketplace. I don't see anything I recognize. Um, power to the players. Like, so not only this thing takes too long, I don't think, I don't, why does this take so long to stand this thing up, right? OpenSea, Dapper, they've been doing this, they've done this. Look at this time horizon, right? Just as an example, let's compare. The NFL, not necessarily known to be the most limber and agile organization on the planet. NBA, I'd say generally is kind of seen as like that first mover amongst, amongst the uh, sports leagues. So NBA did the Dapper thing a while ago. But okay, so NFL uh, announces their deal with Dapper September 29th, 2021. Okay. Then the thing launched in mid-March, March 15th, 2022. You got Mahomes promoting his little thingy uh, NFT. Fine. Wonderful. That's less than six months, which honestly is pretty good for the NFL. In less than six months, they went from announcement of the deal to launch. GameStop announced the deal and then is over six months from an execution. They also announced the deal in February when the NFL had announced the deal in September, right? So they're just moving so slowly. And then what GameStop also looks like they've failed to do is actually go in on doing this marketplace in cahoots with one or two actually recognizable video game publishers, right? Because you, you, now the thing is launched, took over six months. but. Featured creators. I don't know. These are random people. John Romita Jr. and P. Else, please and thank you. I mean, okay, like that's a cool, I guess, anime figure, whatever. Where are the games? Gods Unchained, Luvia. These don't look like, I don't know, I, you know, recognizable. These look like games that are actually being launched on top of this immutable technology web three junk Ugh, so many buzzwords can't stand this stuff i mean you read this and just drives you crazy they launched it within six months they launched it july 11th so they launched it right within the window a couple weeks before they got to the six month mark of their announcement but they're still four or five months late to the game from even when the nfl announced it and they didn't bring any material video game Creators to the table. Yeah, you got all these audience of gamers, but like, where are the cool games? And then they went with this immutable company, not Dapper, not OpenSea. In June of this year, eBay buys Known Origin in an NFT marketplace, right? I mean, these are your two. It's just eBay, also, we've criticized so many times on this show for just not being able to execute. Just this is where you need to execute quickly. And you really need to operate with a greater degree of urgency and speed to market. And ooh, just from an execution standpoint, this thing is a boondoggle. I think it'll probably close down. Don't think it's going to stick around. It's going to be another drain on them for resources. They already just fired their CFO and are doing job cuts. So I can bet you this uh, NFT partnership is also somewhere on the chopping block. People will say it's a distraction, which frankly, I think it is. Um, and, you know, it's uh, you missed the market. Didn't execute. So cut it. I mean, that's what they should do. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining. Talk to you soon.